0: Hey, murder lovers. My name is Mackenzie. And I'm Fatina And this is Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. We're just over a month into this. And that means that now is the time of the essence where we really need those reviews on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes. So if you could be so kind as to subscribe, leave a review, leave a rating, we would greatly appreciate it. It gets us on New and Noteworthy, and that is where we're trying to be. And we only have a couple more weeks left, so do it now at this exact moment. (laughs) We'll wait. We will wait right here. Today is going to be me leading you through my favorite serial killer. Ooh. <laughs> he is my favorite. I didn't know this was your favorite. Yeah, he's my favorite because he's he's so chatty about it. <laughs> I love he, a talker. He won't shut the fuck up um, about it. I actually read uh, a YouTube comment from somebody that was like, if a serial killer had a podcast, it would be him. And hmm. that is 100% true. If there was going to be a serial killer on a podcast, it would be... My shining star of this episode, Edmund Kemper, a.k.a. the co-ed killer. That is who we are going to be covering. Um, Dun, dun. Just kidding. (laughs) Dun, 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 dun. (laughs) Disclaimer at the beginning of this one. This guy is sick AF. So this is going to be a graphic episode. Some of you are just going to be super excited about that. Others are going to be very, very uncomfortable. If graphic detail of necrophilia sexual assault that kind of stuff makes you just cringe all over and which it should anyway but if (laughs) if you are uncomfortable listening to it this is not the episode for you
1: but you are listening to a true crime podcast so Mm. that is what you've signed up for so here's what you wanted yeah
0: i've actually gotten requests from people that are asking for more of the like nitty-gritty episodes like, like the, the big hitters. Not even like the big hitters, but they're like I don't listen to this kind of stuff for the fuzzy feelings, you know. So give me the details. Like give so me So they the... want
1: more Luca Magnatus? Yeah. Okay. It's
0: really weird. Like I am I'm, I'm uncomfortable saying it, but people really want to the graphic stuff. They want the fucked up which shit. Which is disturbing, but also, hey, what's up? We're homies, like same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is what I'm bringing you today with dear old ed kemper this
1: is exciting i haven't looked into him that much oh this will be a good one So this, yeah i'm I'm really excited
0: he's terrifying (laughs) i will say he is very charismatic very likable if we are familiar with mindhunter which if you are listening to this show and you have not watched mindhunter do it or we can't be friends anymore um (laughs) Some of you guys saw my poll on my Instagram stories where I said, do you guys want to see a Mindhunter series or do you want to hear a Mindhunter series? Everyone except your wife and my best friend, (laughs) Kara. Same person. (laughs) Everyone was like, yes, give it to me. And then... I think maybe 48 hours later, I'm telling you, Netflix is stalking our shit because they're they're playing me. 48 hours later, Netflix announced that Mindhunter probably, season three probably won't come out until 2021. Well, I promised it anyway, so I'm going to deliver it to you. This is going to be the first installment of the Mindhunter series. I'm planning on going in order of appearance. So that's really cool. It won't be like every single episode from here on out from me is going to be Mindhunters, but I am going to sprinkle it in. And then when season three does happen, hopefully before 2021. You can binge these again. You can binge <laughs> these again. I will post it with the episode list so oh, you guys cool. can go through them. But this is going to get us started down that route. That's perfect. I'm excited. Yeah. So Edmund Kemper, the co-ed killer, he was born on December 18th, 1948. His parents were just awful. And- By his parents, I really mean his mom. They fought all the time, and then they ended up getting divorced, but his mom was the one that ended up with custody of the kids. Um, She was very abusive towards Ed because he looked reportedly so much like his dad. Oh. Right. So she had all this anger and hostility towards his dad, took it out on Edmund. He was the one that ends up paying the price for it. That's kind of sad. Yeah, it's just awful. And he's really young when they get divorced. They get divorced when he's like eight or nine. And this is kind of what ensues from here. Um, His dad was a World War II vet. He specialized in um, atomic bombs. Okay. So he said, quote, suicide missions and atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to the living with her. Whoa. Right.
1: How? Whoa. What a woman. She's a (laughs) force.
0: (laughs) But I have questions like, why, if that is your description of your now ex-wife, would you leave your kids in her care? Oh. If that's your feeling on living with her, then why do you subject your children to it? Yeah, you know, maybe
1: he just saw that he was that she was that way with him, but maybe not the kids, but
0: obviously right. not. And she's not that way with the girls. She's just that way with Edmund. Oh, right. So she would keep him locked in the basement at night when he was like eight or nine years old because she was reportedly afraid that he would hurt or molest his sisters. What? From all accounts, there's really no evidence that she has of this, but that was what she was trying to prevent. Weird. Yeah, it's super weird. They would, like, let him out to, like, come eat dinner, and then they'd force him back down in the basement. Mm -hmm. It was a cold, dark basement with basically, like, one light bulb. But He said that he was just, like, absolutely terrified to be down there. His sisters had their own rooms. Everything was good for his sisters, but Edmund was kept down in this, like, dark cellar, basically, and just left to kind of fend for himself. Oh. Yeah. That's odd. Right. What a terrible mom. Oh, yeah. she's She's a real... Real peach. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like it. He will get his revenge. Oh, shit.
1: <laughs>
0: Foreshadowing. Mommy dearest his shit. I mean, on steroids. <laughs> Some real terrifying things that happen on here. Mom, if you're listening, turn it off right now. His mom also refused to show him any type of affection and said that no woman would ever love him. She said that if she showed him affection, she was afraid that he would actually become gay. What? Yeah. Which is interesting that that was her fear. I think, I mean, we have to remember this is the 60s. So the only way I can think that she justified this in her head is she thought that if she showed him affection, she might make him weak or soft or something. And that might somehow influence his sexual orientation. Right. But ultimately, her her logic and reasoning makes him hate women. So I'm like, are you? is that really what you're trying to prevent? Because I feel like you're almost doing the opposite and giving him a reason not to mess with women. Because he hates you so much for how you've treated him. I don't know what her psychology is behind it, but that was what her reasoning was. She was like, I don't want him to be gay. So she just treated him like shit, basically. Wow. Okay. Yeah, she's a monster. As a kid, he would mutilate cats, (gasps) as we remember from our Luca Magnata episode. What? Yeah. Rule number one. Oh, my God. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Rule number one of the internet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't mess with cats. (laughs) He actually buried a cat alive. He then dug it up, cut off its head, what? and put it on a stake. What? Yeah. Fuck. We're just easing into this. Um, he's a kid at this point, probably yeah. like 10-ish from okay. the timelines that I'm gauging around that age, 9, 10. That's young. Yeah. He then took another cat that belonged to his sister and killed it with a machete. Ooh. And chopped its head off, and then his mom actually found the remains of that cat in his bedroom, like pieces of that cat. And I think he like he was kept it in his him? yeah in his closet. Oh Which, my god! Again,
1: and then just keep the kid alive.
0: We are laying the groundwork here. What we're gonna see is everything he does is consistent. Oh, it's really? just who the victims are that kind of escalates. His style or his M.O. is very consistent even from childhood. He also would decapitate his sister's dolls and said that that was something that he really got off on was like popping the heads off dolls. What? Yeah. And then he said in an interview that he felt like the fascination with cutting things heads off came from his dad cutting off the heads of his pet chickens when he was younger. And then his mom forcing him to actually eat the chicken. For dinner. Because he maybe to a point thought it was a natural order of things. Or or... that it triggered a feeling in him. Of his dad. Maybe a sexual feeling or something. And then he fixated on it or something. From the chickens? I don't know. I'm I'm just, I'm hypothesizing at this point. Maybe it gave him like a weird sensation or something. And then he was just like, oh, this, this triggers a feeling in me. I mean, we're dealing with prepubescent boys that are being uh, absolutely demolished by their mom. So who knows? I'm just thinking of choking the chicken. Oh my god! Girl, you Ed, the chicken choker. <laughs> oh god, yeah, I'm so uncomfortable. <laughs> As a kid, he also played this game with his sister called um, Gas Chamber or The Electric Chair. Fuck. I know. Like, hide and seek and then Gas Chamber, obviously. (laughs) Did you not play those games when you were growing up? I'm confused. The Gas Chamber? And The Electric Chair. Is this something like Dutch Oven? No. No, okay. (laughs) No, not that. It's not funny. They would take turns flipping an imaginary switch and the other one would pretend to die, like die violently. So they
1: were playing along with
0: it. Yeah. It oh. was very, they're very strange. I okay. don't know. Supposedly he had two near death experiences. That is how it was published that he had two near death experiences. I would argue that his older sister tried to kill him twice. What? And that's what really happened. So his older sister at one point pushed him in front of a train. What? What? And then another time pushed him into the deep end of a pool where he actually almost drowned.
1: Oh, shit.
0: Yeah. So, not only is his mom treating him like crap, but his sister is treating him like crap.
1: Holy shit.
0: Honestly, how do you not hate women at this point? Push in front of a train. I know. She sounds lovely, too.
1: So, I'm sure he was, like, hospitalized or... I have no idea. They just just... count him as near-death experiences? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Holy shit. Um, When he was about 14 or 15, I read... He was 14, 15, and 16, so I've heard Hmm. three different ages that he was at when he actually ran away, but he ran away and tried to go live with his dad, but his dad had kind of moved on with his life and started a new family, so he'd gotten remarried, had a new kid, blah, 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 Um, so his dad ultimately sends him to live with his paternal grandparents, so his dad's parents. He didn't let him stay? He didn't let him stay. So he goes to live with his grandparents on a farm in California. And here he has no better luck with women because his grandma is also a real bitch. I don't know that (sighs) crazy. It's hard to say because like, I feel like he has such an, it's almost like a bias at this point. Like you have such a bias towards how women are treating you that if you have a dominant female... And I think that might have been how his grandma was because he said she was very, like, matriarchal and that she came from powerful women. So she was a powerful woman and everything like that. I feel like as a female in a dominant role that he probably just, like, correlated the two together and couldn't separate it. That one was being dominant while another one was being abusive.
1: Oh, yeah. So all the women
0: in his life that had authority or authority figures in his life were shitbags. And he feels very close to the men in his life. So, like, he had a really good relationship with his dad, which is why he wanted to go and live with his dad as he was trying to reconnect to those memories that he had of him as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to live with his grandparents, and he forms a really close bond with his grandpa, who is senile, and feels like his grandma is emasculating towards both him and his grandpa. So I think he feels protective of both of the men in these situations. Right. And blames the women for how they have made the men feel. Obviously, mom is a whole nother level. But yeah, I think that that's kind of the theme that we see here. Obviously, I think the timeline is a little bit off because, like I said, I read 14, 15, 16. But he was 15 years old when this first incident happened. So in August of 1964, he's 15 years old. Him and his grandma get into an argument. And he actually just snaps. Picks up a hunting rifle and shoots her in the head and in the back. Oh, shit. Then his grandpa comes home from the store. Edmund meets him out on the driveway and actually shoots his grandpa and kills his grandpa. Oh, shit. What the fuck? Yeah, because he likes his grandpa, right? So, like, why would he do that? Well, I'm going to explain it to you. He then goes back in the house, calls his mom in a panic, and is like, I just killed my grandparents. And his mom tells him to call the police. It's just... It's very weird. Because, like, he kills both of his parents and then instantly becomes, like, an infant. And he's like, I need to call my mommy. mommy. Yeah. So, he calls his mom. The mom tells him to call the police and turn himself in. The police... He does that. He calls the police, turns himself in. At 15. At 15. Again, we will see this be a consistency down the road. When they came to
2: the The house... yeah.
0: Yeah. He said that he shot his grandma because quote i just wanted to see how it felt to shoot grandma but on the flip side he shot his grandpa because he said that he wanted to spare him from finding out that his wife was dead (gasps) so he thought that it would like upset him or that it would you know negatively impact him which probably and so while he was just pissed at the grandma and wanted to just take her out, for the grandpa it, it was, was a more mercy of like thing? A, yeah, it was more of like a protective thing in a weird way. It's very strange. That is very strange. Yeah, he's to, a weird... for
1: someone that's fifteen to think that. To think that mm-hmm.
0: after the murder, the psychiatrist, some court psychiatrist, diagnosed him as a paranoid schizophrenic. He was committed to the Atascadero State Hospital for the criminally insane. Now, paranoid schizophrenia, now that we all know about it, he shows absolutely no signs of being a paranoid schizophrenic. He's not delusional. He doesn't hallucinate. He doesn't have any of those signs. I don't. I'm not a psychology major. Kara. I know. Kara. (laughs) She's out getting vodka. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I still just have my Diet Coke. (laughs) Paranoid schizophrenia, I don't. If memory serves me right, this is not something we knew a lot about at the time, nor did we know a lot about serial killers, right? So profiling of serial killers started after Ed Kemper was arrested. Basically, anyone that did something that they just couldn't explain kind of got labeled like this. Mm -hmm. So there was actually a lot of back and forth about whether or not he was actually a paranoid schizophrenic. His diagnosis did change down the road, but I still think it was just kind of like a lesser, lesser criminally insane type.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. Or just throwing something on it because to them it didn't make sense that a 15-year-old would do that. Exactly.
0: But it was during his incarceration that he had his IQ testing done and his IQ came back as 145. Of course it did. Which is... it's hi 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 he is he's a genius he's basically. all there yeah well yeah
1: well, i don't know obviously he's just he's not all there sick
0: but, right yeah but he's he's smart very manipulative very pleasant if again if you guys have watched Mindhunter, hunter the guy that plays edmund kemper like first of all sir where is your oscar wow I mean, so good, but you'll see like he's super charismatic, super personable. He really has a way of kind of like developing these relationships. And he did that with the staff here. So I will um, say that
1: he looks, well, at least as far as the Mindhunter series goes, he looks very aware of his surroundings and he knows how to analyze people Mm -hmm. that are there either to interview him or visit him. And he plays to that a lot.
0: So during his interviews, what people have noticed is that sometimes his stories will change and it's almost like they change based on who's interviewing him Mm -hmm. and what type of reaction he wants to get from them. Mm -hmm. So his recounts of his crimes have been fairly consistent, but there is some question about, some of the details and how honest he's being because he's a master manipulator. So while we take most of it at face value, there are some details that are some questions because he he plays it. He totally plays it, like you were saying. Right. He really, um, he really knows how to adjust to the room that he's in. He's reading the room all yep. the way. Yeah, hundred oh, percent. Yeah. So he does this in the hospital he is considered a model prisoner during this time they actually train him on administering some of these psychiatric tests with other inmates to be able to analyze and deliver results and stuff like that it's basically like he's on staff there or something but because he's so well behaved and deemed like not a high risk they start to kind of trust him yeah and give him responsibilities and stuff like that including these psychiatric tests So Edmund, being as smart as he is and as manipulative as he is, starts reading these tests, memorizing the answers, (laughs) memorizing the favorable answers. So he learns how to manipulate these tests along the way to actually get the results that he's looking for. He also said it was during this time that he did a lot of interviews with sex offenders with these psychiatric tests and got a lot of tips and tricks for the future crimes that he was going to commit. Oh, no. Yeah, so he said one person told him that if he were to rape somebody that he needed to kill them, so there wouldn't be any witnesses. And that like that in particular, he has identified as something that he carried on with him and explained why he had to kill his victims down the road because he didn't want there to be any witnesses. So yeah, not only is he learning from the people he's interviewing from, but he's also then taking their answers and learning from the answers into what benefits him the most. Wow. Yeah, he's he's another level. And he had all this insight mm-hmm. that's unprecedented. Yeah. Because how often do
1: you get I'm sure
0: they don't do that anymore.
1: In, well, yeah, I know, but even then just the opportunity to talk to people who you know have committed a crime, have them tell you everything mm-hmm. so openly because right. they already got, it, you know, in jail. Well, and for there's it. probably
0: a little bit of camaraderie there too, because right. they're they both inmates yeah they're both inmates yeah <laughs> they're just like shooting the shit or whatever right you know. so when he turned 21 he is released from the psychiatric hospital
1: who the fuck are the people that are actually supposed to be conducting these tests i know <laughs> they're on lunch you know what let's just let let's just let ed do it <laughs> what the
0: fuck i know it's ugh. you know
1: what fuck my psych degree you know ed it sounds good. Let's just
0: have him do it. Ed meant. <laughs> Come here. Wow. So, yeah, so he's released at 21. He's deemed no longer a harm. Um, they don't even require follow-up appointments from him like for, of a psychiatric nature. They do, however, recommend cutting off all contact with his mom. They're like, don't talk to her, don't see her. Oh, based on no his time relationship. There. Yeah, because there's some deep-seated issues there, homie, and they are like, don't don't do it right But then the hospital releases him into her care. Oh Jesus Christ yeah. so she goes back to live with dear old mom. I believe it happened at this point when he was released from the hospital that one of the psychiatrists issued on the last report, quote, If I were to see this patient without having any history available or getting any history from him, I would think that we were dealing with a very well-adjusted young man who had initiative, intelligence, and was free of any psychiatric illness. It is my opinion that he has made a very excellent response to the years of treatment and rehabilitation, and I would see no psychiatric reason to consider him to be of any danger to himself or any other member of society." and since it may allow him more freedom as an adult to develop his potential, I would consider it reasonable to have a permanent expunction of his juvenile records.
1: Holy fuck.
0: I wonder how often he has regretted writing those words.
1: Yes, but also... Oh, can you imagine Ed thinking, like, I am so good at manipulating that I had this... You...
0: I think that would be Person. a huge ego boost for somebody oh, that's so broken. Yeah.
1: Absolutely.
0: That like, he convinced someone mm-hmm. through and through that Convince he's fine. people. Not only that he's fine, but that he's a well-adjusted young man. Not only do people think you're fine, they think you're and great. And they
1: expunged his record? Yes. Wow.
0: So not just yet, but they're going to. That was a recommendation at the time oh, okay. that we consider it. It will be done. But not yet. Okay. I'll get there. Damn, Ed. At this point, he is 21. After his release, he applies to be a state trooper, but what? he's too big. Ed Kemper, in all these years, has grown to be a whopping six foot nine. What? Over 250 pounds. I would venture to say at least 300. Six he nine? is huge. Huge. In fact, there's pictures of him standing next to prison guards with his like full wingspan, like his arms fully extended out. And the guards come up to the, his arms and then he's still head and shoulders above them. Oh, so they're shit. literally under his arms. That's how he's a, a monster. Huge I can't even emphasize it enough how big he is.
1: I can't imagine. Well, I'm sure you're going to get into it, into the details. But in any type of situation, like even if I'm at the store and I see someone that tall standing behind me, I'm going to be a little scared because I'm like, oh, shit. And that's but the thing. I'm in like, any other situation, meeting, some like encountering yeah. someone that tall would scare the shit out of
0: me. So he didn't get the job because he's so big. They're like, no, nah, sir. What? Like you, you stick out like a sore thumb to, be a, to be a state trooper. trooper. Yeah, I don't know what the height requirements are or anything like that. It's probably not a thing anymore, but... Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know how that works. (laughs) Like, sorry, you can't fit into a car, so... So he started working for the highway department instead.
1: The fuck? Mm. So one said no, and the other one's like, come
0: on in. Well... The highway department is a government office that just, like, the I think it was more like manual labor, that type oh, of thing. Oh, like
1: ODOT type thing? Exactly. Okay. For some reason, I was just
0: thinking... ODOT is Oregon Department of Transportation for oh. those who do not live in Sorry. Oregon. Um, But, yeah, so it's the California highway system. Okay. Or highway department. So, it's during this time that he actually starts frequenting a bar. Uh, it's called, like, the Jury Room, or... It's basically, like, a cop bar. Like, the cops hang out oh. there. It's, like... He starts to hang out there a lot with them. He actually becomes friends with them. They call him Big Ed. (laughs) That's not the nickname I would want, but... (laughs) You're like, hey, Big Ed,
1: come on over. (laughs) No, uh, no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Don't point out one of my flaws.
0: Seriously. (laughs) Don't just call me big. He was super self-conscious about his size. Like That was something that he felt very self-conscious about. He was a 13-pound baby.
1: Holy and that's I a know. turkey
0: so he's, that's what we had for thanksgiving he's literally always been enormous yeah and his mom would mock him for this and she would oh, always refer to him as no. like a big weirdo and stuff like that and he talked about how like when he would walk into rooms people would stare at him and he was always bigger than the kids at school so he's like super self-conscious about this but then the cops call him big ed and i'm not sure if he was like
1: uh-huh. yeah or just yeah Taking bruh. note of like. who's, taking note who's calling him Big Ed. Yeah,
0: I don't know, but it's also during this time that he becomes bored. He's fighting with his mom a lot, and the fighting is like escalating with her. He moves in and out of her apartment during this time based on like his income sources and also like how much they're really fighting. His mom is working at a university at this time. She's working at University of California, Santa Cruz, but she refuses to introduce him to any of the girls at the university, saying that he's just like his dad and he doesn't deserve to get to know any of these women. Yeah, she just really treats him very horribly.
1: At some point, had she just not been a shit mom, maybe some of this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, maybe if you'd hugged your son once... Like anything, maybe if you literally like not locked him in the basement anything, and... wow, anything, no, seriously, like hat him on the
0: head for goodness
1: <laughs> sakes. Like, I don't. And if your kid's a big kid, like, make him try out for football, make him try out for basketball, teach him how to cherry pick while you know playing basketball. Don't turn tell him, him, him out, him
0: teach him how to paint, like, give him anything. Something.
1: Like, I don't make him reach for all the stuff in the tall shelves, I don't know. <laughs> Embrace the difference. Okay. I, yeah. I'm just saying
0: don't when I'm like make him an outcast. This height comes from somewhere, parents. Right. Yeah. He also in one of his interviews he said like it was stuff like this and just like the fact that he could not only could he not talk to women, but every opportunity for him to learn how to talk to women was just kind of like stopped. Yeah, by the women in his family, like the the dynamics there weren't healthy. So in interviews, he said he felt like he was emotionally impotent. He didn't really understand male and female relationships, and he was really afraid of like failing at them because he didn't know how those dynamics were supposed to work together, and he didn't know how to learn that. So he couldn't bring a girl home, and
1: he couldn't ask mom, "How do I take a girl out?" Whatever. Right. Right. So he starts
0: picking up hitchhikers in order to learn how to talk to these women. Hitchhikers are like, cookers? Hitchhikers. Okay. Yeah, so he starts picking up co-ed hitchhikers, which... Female student hitchhikers. Yeah. Ultimately, at the beginning, the goal was kind of, like, to learn how to have conversations with these women, learn how to talk to these women, and everything like that. And he says he picks up, like, 150 or hundreds Whoa, of them. Oh, shit. It was kind of like his warm-up phase. Like, he's learning how to talk to them, everything like that. But... We wouldn't be here if things didn't escalate. Right. So. I know to this point, I'm like, oh, poor Ed, poor Ed. But I feel like you're just going to shatter that. Well, and like... he, like, he developed strategies to, like, manipulate these women to get in the car with him. Because, I mean, Shrek shows up <laughs> driving. <laughs> driving. He has a 1969 Ford Galaxy. It's like a hoopty. I... And so, <laughs> but I'm like. I'm sorry. That was really loud. Out and it's he's. I need to look this up. I, I can't even. I my image of him in this car is that he's like hunched over, like neck bent down, because he like hits the ceiling or something oh my like that. Gosh. I can't imagine that he fit in this car. So I'm oh, looking at this. Have you seen this car? Yeah, it looks like my first car. It looks like a hoopty, right? <laughs> totally. It's, this is like a two door car. It's a two door car. Yeah, it's like I. I would compare it to like a Thunderbird. Yeah. Thunderbirds are good. Yeah. 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 So like a Thunderbird, somebody his size, I would think you would just be taking up the entire front area. Oh, absolutely. And like hunched over, like arms up, trying to like hold the steering wheel, just like not fitting in there. If I saw a man that size drive up in a car, I'd be like, that's all right. I'll I'll wait. I'll wait. (laughs) But, so he, like, got really good at, like, convincing these women to get in the car with him. And one of the things that he used to do is, like, he if they, like, hesitated, he would, like, look at his watch and be like, listen, I really don't have time. Like, either in or out. Like, he'd try to make it, like, he was in a rush. Weird. Like, I'm That's willing to help you. one of his you. strategies. Yeah. And he said, like, usually if he did that and kind of sighed and was like, okay, ladies, like, don't dawdle, either in or out. Like, then... I think what they thought is like, oh, he's he obviously has somewhere he's trying to go. So he would like sigh, look at his watch, be like, okay, ladies, like time is of the essence tick tick. So they would think he was like in a rush, he had somewhere to be, like maybe they didn't he didn't have time to kill them or but
1: he almost like or made like, them not have enough time to like make a decision. Right, or that yeah. they were
0: like, okay, well, I don't want to inconvenience him, so I'll just hurry he's up. He's so nice he and yeah. wants to give me a ride. And he oh. said like that would kind of like get them in the car with him. Ladies, don't
1: hitchhike. Don't let a man rush you. Oh,
0: that too. We,
1: we learn different morals.
0: Out of the, the two is. of
1: us, I would be the one that get killed. Gets killed. Yeah, you Absolutely. totally. Yeah, hundred percent.
0: Which is it. weird. I don't know. I mean,
1: I would fight, but I would put myself. I I'm more likely to put myself in situations that are going to get me killed that's fair okay i pick up hitchhikers i feel like you're a
0: little bit more trusting than i am yes i assume the worst the good of everybody in I yes see the you good. see the good mm-hmm. i see the bad i'm mm-hmm. like you that's why you and Kara care get along totally yeah yeah because you're both like ugh, people
2: ugh. <laughs> huh. i got a
0: people today i saw a meme the other day that was like I hate saying that I hate people because it makes me sound mean, but I really do hate people. Like, I like people, but I hate people. And I was like, <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> All right, back on track. Sorry. So things escalate, obviously. So on May 7th, 1972, Edmund picks up two 18-year-old Fresno State students. This is Mary Ann, Pesk, Pesky? Mary Ann Pesky and Anita Luchessa. He takes them to a wooded area that he's familiar with based on his time working for the highway department. So he knows all these different areas that are like kind of a little bit more secluded. Um, He handcuffs Marianne and puts Anita in the trunk. What? Yeah, like things just kind of escalate. I'm not sure how we get from like in the car in the woods to like this situation. Are these two different times? No, this is at the same time. So Marianne is in the car, Anita's in the trunk. He tries to suffocate Marianne with a bag, but she actually bites through the bag, like bites a hole in it. Yes. So, right? So he can't suffocate her with the bag. So at that point, he begins to stab her. Oh. And apparently he's kind of like surprised by the fact that like this doesn't immediately kill her. Like he thought it was going to be like in the movies. Spoiler. Stop, stop, kill. Yeah. yeah, It's not like in the movies. He describes it as them leaking to death. I know. I mean, it gives me like, gives me like moist like, yeah. feelings. <laughs> I shouldn't say it like that. The the feeling you get when people say the word moist, that's how I feel about him saying the word leaking. Like full goosies. Like, yeah. yeah, it just makes me cringy. But at this point, he said like some at some point in their altercation grazes her breast or whatever. And he gets like super embarrassed by it. He describes it as being embarrassed what? by it. And he's like, oh, oh my God, I'm sorry. And what? apologizes to her for actually like, grazing her breast. Because remember, he's emotionally impotent when it comes what to women. He's the fuck? He's on I'm stabbing you to death, but oh crap. Oops, sorry. Oh, I touched your boob. <laughs> wow. And like reverts back to like kind of like that embarrassed child or whatever. Um, In fact, he said that he won't stab her in the chest because he doesn't like the idea of stabbing a woman in her breast. So he stabs her in the stomach instead.
1: Like It's
0: very weird because she doesn't die from all of this. He ends up just cutting her throat and slices her from ear to ear, cuts her throat. And that's how she ends up dying. What? Right. Because the bag didn't work. The knife doesn't work, at least as fast as he thought it was going to work. So he he just cuts her throat. At this point, he goes back to the trunk to get Anita. And Anita sees the blood and is, like, freaking out. Probably hears the whole thing. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, your friend got mouthy. Um, I ended up hitting her. And then, like, in the interview, he's like, but I didn't actually hit her. Like, I wouldn't hit her. And I'm like, okay, you didn't hit her, but you killed her. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. What a gentleman. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But he... So he says, like, she got mouthy. He hits her in the face. Probably broke her nose. And he's like, you need to go make sure she's okay. So that's what gets Anita out of the trunk to go and check and see if she's okay. And then he attacks her, too. And at this point, he's trying to stab Anita, but the knife is really dull. So he says it's not really making impact. And she's kind of just, like, slowly bleeding out. But, like, not really making the the progress that he wants her to make. And then he thinks that he lo- locks his keys in the car and then kind of like starts freaking out thinking like he's locked the keys in the car she's not dying the way she wants to he entertains the idea of running off or whatever and just like leaving everything there starts to actually run away in the interview he's like i had to slow myself down and think to myself like okay like let's walk through this handle this rationally he ends up finding the keys in his back pocket Whoa. he's he so he calls himself bumblebutt like, he old not. Bumblebutt. He does he not. Does. <laughs> he does not. And this is such an accurate interpretation of him because he gives me such BTK vibes with how clumsy he is throughout this whole thing. Right. Like, he just, he kind of, like, just kind of screws it up and is just kind of, like, fumbling his way through it. So the Bumblebutt description Bumblebutt. is very, very on the nose. Bumblebutt. Yeah. He calls himself that? Yeah, he calls himself old Bumblebutt. Okay. <laughs> it's weirdly, um, I don't even want to say this, but it's weirdly endearing, but. Uh, it
1: is. That's why I'm laughing, because I'm like, that's a cute but that's thing. That's part of
0: that. But he makes himself very, um, very likable, very endearing, very charismatic. So it's stuff like that that makes you kind of like him. And then you're like, oh, yeah, he's a bumble butt because he bumbled his way through his first murder. Yeah. 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 He ultimately ends up strangling Anita. That's how she dies. He puts both bodies in the trunk of the car. Now. But with hands? Wait. Like, do they have their hands?
1: No. I'm sorry. Strangled her. He strangled strangled her her with her hands? Yeah. I I assume so. I'm
0: assuming. I don't know for sure. I can't imagine how big his hands are. Oh, my God. I didn't even think of that. They're probably enormous. Yeah. Like, he could probably do that one-handed would be my guess. Have you been to Buffalo Wild
1: Wings? Yeah. You You know know where where they have hands on the way? Yeah. 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 They have uh, Muhammad Ali's hands and George Foreman's hands, probably. yeah, that makes sense, and they are triple my hands. and I self-proclaim to have really big hands for a girl, but I have very long fingers, but i I mean, they're big hands, yeah, I'm sure they're they're probably like baseball gloves,
0: right. yeah, oh, so I can't imagine, yeah, so he strangles her, puts the bodies in the trunk. Um and it's actually on his way home that he's pulled over by a police officer for having what? a broken taillight. Stop it. Yeah. This is Bundy. This is Bundy. So the cop pulls him over for having a broken taillight um but the car isn't searched. I have questions. So you stab multiple women, you freaked one Wasn't of them out. Was one in the front seat? No, they're both and now he's moved the bodies into the trunk. But, but, but the one he stabbed, yeah, so in the, the one front that seat. he attacked and stabbed her in the stomach was in the car. So, and he said that he freaked out Anita because his hands had blood on them. And you cut somebody's throat. Where did you shower? Where did you clean off your car? I don't understand. Like, that car had to have blood on it. And either the cop didn't notice it or like it he was performed some maybe? voodoo magic or something to get rid of it. I have no idea. But the cop doesn't search the car. He just cites him for the broken taillight. Like, nothing. And there's two bodies in the trunk. I'm like, wow, you really just weren't looking at all, were you? I I have no idea if they just weren't paying attention or if the signs weren't there and there's something that I don't know. Weird. I, I'd like to give the benefit of the doubt and say there's something I don't know. but
1: Right. There, that's know. a big unknown. Because yeah. how do you miss all the blood?
0: Yeah. So they let him off. He takes the two bodies back to his apartment at this point. He's living in an apartment with a roommate. Um, and his roommate's gone. So he takes the bodies inside the apartment. He takes photos of the body, like s- bodies, sexually explicit what? photos in compromising positions. Yeah. Um, that's also very Rodney Alcala. He did the same right. thing. Yeah, um, And also Jeffrey Dahmer. Mm-hmm. Creepy. I'm glad Polaroids are... <laughs> is this a Polaroid? I'm sure it's Polaroid. I'm a sure it is. Yeah, because yeah, you can't take in a camera to get it developed. <laughs> Excuse me, sir.
1: <laughs> you know I developed pictures for a while. Did you at CBS when that was right at the tail end of it? It was about no. the last two years of when film was a thing before they shut it down. And yeah,
0: yeah. So I assume that he was doing Polaroids of uh, these. But anyway, he takes photos of the bodies. Um, he ends up raping the corpses. He dismembers what? the bodies, and then he decapitates them. And just takes the heads off. What? Um, he puts the body parts in plastic bags and disposes that of them near a mountain. Um, but then he takes the heads warning. This is where things get, um, he takes the heads and he rapes the heads by way of oral sex, um, with the heads before disposing of the heads in a ravine. Um, yeah. It's just, So gross. Um the remains of the bodies were found in August. So those were several months later was when they were found. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Kay. Do you need a drink? No. Nope, <laughs> because we're not at the worst yet. We're oh, really just easing into it. Really? A, yeah. So on September 14th, 1972, Kember picks up fifteen year old Aiko Koo, who was hitchhiking to dance class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's fifteen. Um he pulls a gun on her immediately, but says that he's actually planning oh, he's on... he's got a gun now. Yeah, so he has upgraded. Right. Yes, because he learned that the work. knife is not... He said that the knife wasn't very swell. It wasn't a swell <laughs> knife, because it wasn't very sharp, so he said it wasn't a this swell knife. This guy's
1: very quotable.
0: Uh, actually, that's a running joke about him, is that he... Because he does so many interviews, that he will like plan bits and stuff like that, to the point where one time a host interrupted him and he was like, hold on, you're going to ruin the bit. Like he's very much, um, he's he, thought this out. Yeah. He's thought this out. He wants to be quoted. He wants the one-liner. So weird. Yeah. It's very intentional. Right. So he pulls the gun on her, but he says he's going to kill himself. He just needs a witness. And so she's supposed to witness it again, drives to a wooded area that he's familiar with. And then in getting out of the car and going around to her side, or whatever reason, he manages to lock himself out of the car <laughs> with the gun inside the car. What a moron. Bumblebutt. <laughs> bumble, bumble, bumblebutt. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> so he locks himself out, but this just goes to show just how manipulative and how good he is at just playing people because he convinces her no. to let him back in the car. And he's like, she had everything. She had the gun. She had the keys. She had everything. And he somehow manages to get her to let him back in the car. And he's like, I don't even know how I did it. What? Yeah. He's like, I don't know. He's like, it was really just like. He surprised himself? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, even I thought that was a good one. But yeah, he convinces her to let him back in. um, And then upon her, like, opening the door for him, he immediately chokes her out unconscious. Oh.
1: Oh my god.
0: Rapes her and then kills her um, by way of shooting her. So at this point, he puts the body in the trunk and then stops at the bar for a few drinks. As one often does after they've killed somebody. So he stops in there for a few drinks um, and then he goes back to the apartment where, again, he rapes the corpse, dismembers it um, and disposes of it very similarly to the previous victims. The head is done with what the head is done with. (laughs) And so he did that to her too? Yeah. The next day, he has a parole hearing. Bettina is pouring some wine. Hold on. No, Hold no, please. I'm peeing. <laughs> <laughs> and it is at this point that the panel of psychiatrists deem him no longer a threat. They say he's a well adjusted man and they expunge his juvenile record. And the next. The reports are that her right. body was in the trunk at this time, that no. he hadn't disposed of it yet, that he was on his way to do that, and just pit stod stopped in there for his board Take hearing. Taking care
1: of his responsibilities. Yes.
0: What? Yeah. Excuse me. I have court, and then <laughs> I have an appointment to dispose of a body. Like,
1: I hope you guys and, know that I laugh And, I'm and, and like, then I'm going the go to go to lunch.
0: <laughs> But, yeah, he, like, he stops in there. He has a body in the trunk. And they're like, you seem like a great man, a well-adjusted young man. On, On your, your way. way. Yeah. <laughs> and then they mark off his record and everything is sealed. Um, wow. Yeah. You got it wrong. Holy shit. Panel. Yeah. Oh, a,
1: I'm sorry. It's I'm a not, panel. It's not that I'm not listening, but. It's a there's panel. A, there's
0: multiple people. Right. There's a <laughs> wow. So So not just one person. This is multiple people that fucked up. Right. On January 7th, 1973, Kemper has moved back in with his mom and is driving around Cabrillo College. He picks up 18-year-old student Cindy Shaw. Again, he takes her to a wooded area. He shoots her um, and then puts the body in the trunk and goes back to his mom's house. What? Yeah, because he's living with his mom. Um, Well, not
1: that, but so... That just seemed fast, and he didn't do... Okay, sorry.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, he's not done yet. It's not like you just shot the body and put it in the trunk and then got rid of it. No, we wouldn't be here if that was all. So he puts the body in the trunk, drives back to his mom's, and then takes the body out of the trunk and hides it in his closet overnight. Yeah. No. Fatina looks so stressed right now. She's rubbing her forehead. Um... (laughs) hides the body in this closet overnight and then waits until his mom leaves for work the next morning. Once she goes to work, he pulls the body out of the closet. He rapes the corpse. Um, But, and I forgot to mention this with the other, the other victim that he shot. He also has start, he starts removing the bullets from the body so they can't be identified. And he does that with the first one. He removes the bullets out of the bodies. So that way, forensic evidence can't tie him to it he's smart guys he is smart really 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 effing smart so he removes the bullet um and then he dismembers her and decapitates her in his mom's bathtub he disposes of the body but he keeps the head for several days and continues to rape it rape the head over several days ew decomposition is yeah it's really gross all good things must come to an end. <laughs> and eventually it becomes, I guess, too gross for him even. So after several days of this, he then takes the head out to his mom's garden. He buries the head facing up from the garden, looking at his mom's window. And he says that he does this because his mom, quote, always wanted people to look up to her. Stop. He hates this woman. Like, he hates her. So, yeah, he does that intentionally, so she's looking up at the window because of that reason. Uh, The body was thrown off of a cliff previously. It's recovered over the course of several weeks because, again, it's dismembered. I've read both accounts that he dismembered them with a power saw as well as an axe. I don't know which one is true or if it varied based on victims. This Mm -hmm. one specifically said power saw, um, but I've also heard accounts of the other ones being dismembered with an axe. So, the axe seems like it would just be, like, a lot of work, but... Well, maybe not for him. I was going to say, but... Lumberjack here, right. like <laughs> one and done. That's what he should have done for a living. He should have been a lumberjack. <laughs> he should have been a bunion impersonator. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so on February fifth of nineteen seventy three, Ed got in a big fight with his mom. He got super pissed off, and he left the house looking for victims. At this point, students are on high alert. They are told. Don't get in cars and accept rides from strangers. You should only be accepting rides from people that have a college or university sticker on the car. What? But they didn't know if it was someone from the university. Well, mom works for the school. Mom works for <sighs> University of California, Santa Cruz. Oh. So guess who has a sticker on their car? Fuck. That's right. Edmund has a sticker on his car. So he has a university sticker because his mom is employed with right. the college. And he uses that... To convince these girls to get in the car oh with him my because God. everyone's telling all these students nothing is safe except for cars that have the sticker on them. And he said actually in an interview that he wouldn't kill any of the hitchhikers who got in the car with him and brought up the co-ed killer. If they, like, made jokes and were like, oh, you know that guy that's going around killing people? Hope you're not him. Ha, ha, ha. Or, like, they would talk about it with their (laughs) friends or whatever. If he had more than one of them in the car and they would, like, or the conversation somehow got sparked. That he, like, at that point they were off limits. He said that it was, like, it was very embarrassing and it was, like, almost like he didn't want to be associated with it. So he, like, at that point. He was it. I know. (laughs) I know. Monica. (laughs) That was so good. That was a friend's reference, for those of you who don't know. Um, but yeah, he would let them off the hook if they like brought it up. and You know, I've done that
1: with hitchhikers. You've picked up hitchhikers? Oh, yeah. See, this is how you're going to end up dead. <laughs> okay. Oh, I, I've picked up hitchhikers on days, like the days that we've had really bad snow. And it's women. Okay, I'm not saying how to... This is not a...
0: You know they use those people to, like, recruit sex traffickers. Okay. Sex trafficking victims, Well, right? so what I do... Guys, because... go over to the Instagram and give Fatina a real scolding for this.
1: <laughs> so, no, what, I, what I've what i done... So, yes. I've done this a couple times since I've been married. Kara hates it, so I, I don't do Obviously, it. Obviously, because
0: Kara is me and I am I, her. <laughs> and <laughs> I hate it, so she would hate it. Anyway,
1: so really heavy snow day. And what I did was I... It was two women... And the the buses weren't running anymore, and they were Mm -hmm. stranded at their bus stops. So they got in my car, and I took pictures of their IDs, sent them to Kara. And then, of course, as we were riding, I may or may not have said, like,
0: I'm just hoping you're not a killer. I would, if I got in the car with somebody and they were like, can I take a picture of your ID? I'd be like, I'm going to...
1: I mean no. no Well, I mean these are not elderly women, but women in
0: middle age. Mm-hmm. Middle age women
1: and you know, they were out stranded in the cold, not proper okay.
0: clothes and stuff. Famous last word. Listen, I,
1: Kara <laughs> I got it from Kara
0: too. I okay. bet you did. So... Good job, Kara.
1: <laughs> I'm saying that's probably what saved me, just bringing up jokes about being but them not being killers because what if they were? Maybe. Mm. It and they it were saved like, me. I don't want to be
0: affiliated with that, so <laughs> So at this point, he has a sticker on his car and he picks up Rosalind Thorpe, who's 23, and Allison Liu, who's 20, from the university. He shoots both women before even leaving campus, like in the car, shoots them in the car, and then puts them in the car, has blankets over them in the car. Now, this is where his story changes, because the first account of this story is that he leaves, passes by security on the way out, who stop him at the gate. And he says that the women in the backseat are actually drunk, that he's taking them home to make sure that they get there safe. But on another account of this, Mm -hmm. he says that the security guard was asleep and that's how he managed to sneak by. So he tells two different sides of this story, depending on who's listening and who, what reaction he wants to get. So I don't know. what's just true. I'm willing to bet that the guy was asleep, probably asleep. Yeah. And he was just looking for, to get a rise out of somebody. So he takes the bodies back to his mom's house and then beheads them in the trunk of the car in the driveway. His mom is home. His neighbors are home. He just can't wait. If Jane Smith is walking down the sidewalk, he, they're going to see big-ass Edmund sitting out there sawing people's heads off. It's yeah, crazy. It's like he does it intentionally trying to get caught. I don't know. But he decapitates them in the trunk and then carries the bodies into the house. How do you... I don't know. The I'm trying to figure out, though, like, what is he doing with all the blood? Like, you would think that there would just... Like, the bathtub, it would have to be covered in blood. Uh-huh. The car would have to be covered in blood. The trunk would have to be, like, leaking blood. Oh, uh-huh. I just said leaking. Yeah. But you would just think it would get everywhere. And I don't know what he was and doing And that's a to... lot of
1: people in the trunk. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know what he's doing. I mean, he needs to teach that one chick from the Thanksgiving episode, how to clean up blood. (laughs) (laughs) That was a dark moment. Okay. So he carries them back into the mom's house. Inside the house, he rapes and dismembers the corpses, removes the bullets, and then discards the bodies the next day after doing what he does to them. So that's definitely his M.O. Yeah, with the heads. I... It sounds like the killing is not necessarily the thing. It's the things that he does to the bodies afterwards. Right. But again, that goes back to him being a kid. Remember, he cuts off the cat's heads. He decapitates the doll's body, or the doll's heads. It's not about the killing. He just wants to cut their heads off and do things to the heads. He just wants,
1: this is going to sound weird, but he just wants affection. Affection. Like you know what I mean? Like in I a weird even,
0: way. I don't think it's physical affection though, because I genuinely think it's something with cutting off the heads that like does something for him he, that he likes. Yeah, that's
1: so weird. Because that's I can't. He's literally that. done
0: it since he was like eight or nine years old. That he's oh, cut heads with off. the chickens and the bre- mm-hmm. and the kittens. Yeah, oh. it just like continues. Something with the head. That's so, so weird. So like I said at the beginning, the MO is the same. It's just the escalation of who the, the, and victims. what he does to the head. Escalates. Oh, yeah. So he discards the bodies the next day, and over the next month, pieces of the body are recovered. And it's during this time that he's spending more and more time at this cop bar, probing for information about what they know to see if they're zeroing in on anything. Um, he's just like kind of like testing the waters, if you will, to see what do they know and what are they willing to share with him. Oh, god, him. he is so smart. He's so smart.
1: Cause he already had an in. He already knew where they were hanging. Now they were. He right. was friends with them. So Big Ed comes in and they tell him everything. I'm sure. Big Ed. Big Ed.
0: <laughs> so in an interview, um, Ed says like it's at this point that he really doesn't think that any more girls should be paying for his mom's mistakes. He said that the issue really needs to remain between them. Like he's chalking all this up to his reaction to their fights. Like what? he gets pissed at her because they get in a big blowout, and then he goes and he kills somebody because he's upset with his mom. So he's like, I don't think really any more girls should die because my mom's pissing me off. Agreed. So
1: he says that he does this as a reaction to his fights with his mom. Mm -hmm. So it's not just random nights and it's not just
0: after they fight.
1: Oh, I didn't catch that at first. So
0: wow. I said it, but yeah. I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) This is a fucking roller coaster.
0: She had, at some point, reportedly blamed him for not having sex in seven years or whatever and was like, it's all your fault it's because you're here that I have not had sex in seven years. Or just like, ew, mom, TMI, gross. But That's, what? Yeah. Why would she say that to I don't him? I know. She's, why would oh, okay, she? Okay, listen, yeah. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so on April 20th, 1973, um, Ed's mom, whose name is Clarnell, comes home. She's drunk from a party um, and wakes Ed up. He's sleeping. Uh-huh. He, she goes into her room She begins reading a book because that's how she winds down Every night is with some paperback book And actually I think this is A really good moment for Ed to tell you what happens Next Because we have an audio clip on that Fuck yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm really
2: excited <laughs> Okay. I said she's gotta die And I've gotta die Or girls like that are gonna die And that's when I decided I'm going to murder my mother I knew a week before she died I was gonna kill her And she went out to a party, she got soused, she came home, went to sleep. I was woken up by that, I got, came out. I walked up to her bed. She's laying there reading a paperback as many thousands of nights before. And she said, oh, I suppose you're gonna want to sit up all night and talk now. Shit. I looked at her, I said, no, I said, good night and i knew i was gonna kill her you know and i'm so cold it's so hard and that's the first time in 10 years i've looked at it that way i mean that intensely that honestly it hurts
0: what we hear from edmund is that obviously she's come home from a party she's drunk they have that exchange and it just like triggers something in him and so he kills her. And we hear him in the interview getting like actually upset about it. But again, this guy is very manipulative. So is it real tears? Is it not real tears? Right. It's hard to know. But he seems to be actually broken up about the fact that he has killed his mom. It's very weird.
1: I mean, he was wiping away quote unquote tears. Yeah. And it does. Wow. <sighs> It's so weird to see the interviews of, of people like serial killers. Well,
0: and he's very, talking. he's very honest. Well, I shouldn't say he's very honest. He's very transparent. So he explains this a little bit further of why he is reacting the way he is. We'll play this clip right now.
2: It hurts because I'm not a lizard. I'm not from under a rock. I came out of her vagina. See, came out of my mother, and in a rage I went right back in.
0: What? So he says basically. I'm not a lizard. Not a lizard.
1: Basically saying like I'm a human. Yeah, I'm
0: a human. I'm not devoid of feelings. He could have said that. Yeah, he could have said that. He also could have said she gave me life instead of saying I came out of her vagina. But uh, it it's it's so weird and and this is what fascinates
1: me about he knows exactly what to say, Mm -hmm. when to say it, how How to to say say it. it. Yeah. And he is captivating his audience
0: perfectly right like i i watched that whole interview because i was like this is fascinating because right. he does he's a great storyteller he's a fantastic that's storyteller. exactly yes. what it is so you're like because he says stupid
1: weird shit like lizard and i came out of my mom's right. vagina instead of like you said gave birth to me right so you're sitting there thinking and you're analyzing it's and you're thinking why did you say it that way and
0: even like his tone, his cadence, anything like that is just—he's—it's—he's he's actually like his voice is very soothing, which explains some things here down the road. But he has a very soothing voice, so he's hey. actually kind of like the sound of his voice is kind of pleasurable to listen to. But also like the way he tells stories is really—it draws you in. Right. So, huh. um, that was kind of his description of how ha- uh, what brought him to killing his mom. But, um. Mm, this is. Oh. He did not. Oh, he did. Oh, he did. Oh my God! It just Bettina's clicked in my having head. having a moment of realization that the rest of you should be having here in just a second. Don't spoil it for him. So, mom's got to die. And we know what he likes to do with the bodies. No. So he no 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 gets upset that she dismisses him or whatever, and then he waits for her to fall asleep, um, and then returns back to her room and bludgeons her with a claw hammer. Who the the murder piece is not is not a thing for him. Like he's not one of those people that needs to kill people the same way every time. He just it's after they're dead right. that he's consistent.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How he gets to the dead part can vary. So he kills her with a hammer and then slits her throat with a knife. So at this point just peel this makes the Band-Aid. me so uncomfortable. Just do it. It's not a peel. It's a, it's a rip with hair on the band aid and everything. Um, uh. He decapitates her head. He. <sighs> I'm sorry. I'm super <laughs> uncomfortable, and I'm looking at you, and you're also equally uncomfortable.
1: And I usually don't get uncomfortable, but it's just that it's his mother.
0: Yeah. So he decapitates the head. He orally rapes the head by having oral sex with the head. And then he uses the head as a dartboard. He puts (gasps) it up on a shelf and uses it as a dartboard and then proceeds to scream at the head for, like, an hour. Because he's just... It's, like, all these years of pent-up aggression are finally coming out on the head. Along with some really sick sexual fantasies. Holy shit. I... Um, What? After he... And he always says, like, he humiliates them. Like, that's the way he describes it. He's like, I humiliated her head. I... I humiliated the body. It's like, no, you you raped them. right? Yeah, you raped them. That's how he describes it because
1: he doesn't want to say rape.
0: Right. So he says he humiliates them.
1: Wow.
0: So he did that to his mom's head as well. But after he gets done raping the head, he actually cuts out his mom's tongue and rips out her voice box. Like her larynx, vocal cords, everything. And then stuffs them down a garbage disposal and turns (gasps) them on. The garbage disposal spits out what? pieces of the voice box. And he says that that seems only fitting because of how often she used to yell at him. A moment of silence, it's, please. Well,
1: it's almost... Okay. Ah, okay. I'm going to say this and whatever. It's
0: almost poetic to him in his view. I I think it's a moment of irony for him. Yeah. Okay.
1: I just ironic Maybe, but
0: like but yeah he probably did look at it as poetic justice he's like you yelled at me all these years and now I'm going to rip out your
1: voice box yeah and,
0: and stuff it down a garbage disposal so you can't ever yell at me again bitch but she got the last laugh cause she's better voice box back yeah. out at him yeah but he was kind of amused by that he then puts the body in the closet and then goes to the bar for a drink because what else do you do after you rape your mom's head he comes home and at this point, he actually invites his mom's friend, Sally Hallett, over for dinner and a movie. I'm like, man, the this same, is a whole day right? night event. I have no idea. Like, I'm like, how many hours in a day do you have? He invites her over for dinner and a movie. His goal at this point is to have a second victim so he can paint it as the two of them, when they disappear, that they went on a trip together. But oh. he changes course here very quickly. He strangles Sally and then puts her in the closet as well. I don't see that he actually does anything. I didn't read anything about him doing anything to Sally's corpse at this point. I think she was a victim more for the sake of an alibi or something like that or, like, to cover up... Well, he up. was trying to make up
1: this yeah. weird story, yeah.
0: But then... I, I He changes his mind. I don't know. I think he thinks he, like, is not going to get away with it. He knows, so, he, yeah. He, it's too complicated. It. Yeah, because now... Like,
1: your your mom's missing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So he gets in the car and drives to Pueblo, Colorado. He's got three guns in the car, rounds of ammunition, because he's sure that he's going to be the target of a manhunt. He turns on the radio, and nobody says anything about him or his mom or the friend or anything like that. So he's driving the whole way to Colorado, drives straight through on caffeine pills. Whoa. Whoa. And is listening the whole time and nobody ever mentions him. And then at some point he just gets fed up with waiting for somebody to mention him.
1: He wants to. So
0: like he did with his grandparents, he calls the police. Once he gets to Pueblo, Colorado, he calls the police and he tells them that what he's done, he confesses to the murders and the cops think that he's joking and they tell him to call back and they just like completely dismiss him. What? So a few hours later, Ed's like, all right, I'm going to call him back then because they told me to call back.
1: You know what's so weird is that I'm thinking that this whole time that he's trying to listen in to see if they're if there's looking for him, mm-hmm. he's probably thinking in the back of my mind, if I called my mom right now, what would she tell me to do? Call the police and turn probably. myself in. Yeah, that's like interesting. Like he did I with his grandparents. That. Yeah,
0: probably. Oh. So... He calls back a few hours later, and this time he asks to speak to an officer that he knows personally because he's 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 Big Ed. He's he homies. goes he yeah. goes from, oh, from so the he cop calls bar. his friend and he tells him what he did. Again, he thinks he's joking, but then like, seriously, Ed who jokes like, about that? Well, Ed's like no, no, but for real though. And so they he waits for them to show up and take him into custody. At that point, he confesses to all the murders. And he said that he confessed and turned himself in because it was no longer his crimes were no longer serving a purpose, presumably because his mom is dead at this point. He no longer has any anger that he needs to take out on anybody oh. or anything. So like he ends it at that point because he's like, I'm done. I'm like, done. Yeah. There's nothing else left for me to do because the whole point was getting even with my mom or like having a stress break from all the fights with my mom. My mom's dead now and don't got anyone to fight with. So I'm good. He's happy. Yeah, he's done. In custody, he tries to commit suicide twice while he's awaiting trial. Um, they plead uh, not guilty based on reason of insanity, but the court finds him legally sane at this point. It's also during this time that people start digging into his juvenile record and find out oh, that's involved in that.
1: Oh, that's weird.
0: Yeah. Made, well, a, made a few mistakes there, didn't we, panel? Right. <laughs> And the jury, they find him legally sane. The jury deliberates for five hours. They find him sane and guilty of all charges. Ooh, that's a fast one, too. At this point, he requests a sentence of death by torture. Excuse me? I don't know. Apparently, the electric chair and the gas chamber games are off the (gasps) table. (laughs) That he used to play as a kid. He's like,
1: I've done this before. I know what I want.
0: Well, and California is in a weird place because they're always changing their laws and everything like that. They were in that rehabilitation phase. Remember from Rodney O'Kella? Uh-huh. Yeah. The death penalty isn't really an option. So they sentenced him to seven life sentences to be served concurrently, which means he's serving them at the, them same, at the time. same time. Right, not consecutively, concurrently.
1: Mm-hmm. How? They denied okay. his
0: request for death by torture. They were like, "No, Larry, we can't do that. <laughs> we can vote on that though." <laughs> I'm very I'm very gray on the death penalty. I, like, yeah. I, I'm one of those people that, like, I see both sides of it, and I'm not really sure where I fall on it. I I have my it, ideas. But when you have somebody that's sitting there and they're like, confessing, I did it, kill right. me. That's when, like, that's when
1: it goes to the dark side for me, because yeah. I'm like, if someone's confessing, there's no doubt it's not someone that was convicted yeah. that, you know, didn't have an opportunity to defend themselves correctly or, you know, yeah. or was just a conviction done on circumstantial evidence if they're con- if they're saying I did it, I picked up an knife, I picked up a gun, yeah. da, da da da, like by all means, mm-hmm. bye, <laughs> see you. <laughs> so- but and, and you know, on on the other side, and if it's mm-hmm. if there's any gray on their conviction, I'm like, eh, let's hold yeah. off on that. Maybe just put them in jail until we, have you know, right. You never know someone's sentence could be changed,
0: right. He's in... He was in San Quentin.
1: Wait. Is he alive? Yeah.
0: Stop! Mm-hmm. He's, so, um, Ed Kemper is still alive today. He was serving in San Quentin um, and was actually on the same prison block as Charles Manson. So, that Ooh, um, episode in my Mindhunter, mentor. where he refers to him as being short, and he's like, he's very sensitive about his size and everything like that. <laughs> they actually did know each other. They crossed paths. Like, they... Weird. He's... I don't think he really cared for Charles Manson very much, but they were, like, they actually did know each other. Again, considered to be a model prisoner. The guards actually, like, like him. I would venture to say, like, some of them, like, they're, like, pals. Like, he's super respectful. Again, very manipulative. But he, like, plays to their needs and everything like that. He always holds a really good conversation. He's really smart. Not to be
1: stereotypical, but a lot of prison guards tend to be male. Yeah. So I'm also thinking... He gets along well with males anyway. Right. It almost seems like a big, tall teddy bear kind of guy. Well, and
0: that's, so that's kind of what I've heard. If you treat me with respect, I'm going to treat you with respect. And that's kind of what Ed does with them. He's like, Mm -hmm. I'm really respectful. Like, let's talk. Like, let's pal around. I'm not going to give you any trouble. And he doesn't. He doesn't give anyone any trouble. So from all accounts, they like him. He's a good guy. He schedules appointments for inmates for their psychiatrist. He makes ceramic cups for everybody. Like, he's kind of a master ceramicist. In the storytelling person that he is, with the voice that he has, he records audiobooks sometimes for children. No, but mostly for the blind. So he records audiobooks for oh, the blind and Jesus stuff like that. Jesus
1: Christ! You keep taking me back and forth on this guy. He's
0: donated hours of his time and done hours of audio recordings. And um, he only retired after he had a stroke and wasn't able to do it anymore. So he actually like retired. Quote air quotes. I'm using finger quotes around retired. He's been super transparent about his crimes. He's done several interviews about him. He's been denied parole several times, but he's also waived his right to a hearing in these because he said that he doesn't think that society can handle somebody like him. Agreed. Like, we don't, we're good. You stay where you are. But he's kind of like, I get it. What are you guys going to do with me? I shouldn't be out. So like, he kind of waives his rights to a trial and then he just kind of lets them decide and they're like, no, hell no. That's going to be a hard pass for me. (laughs) So he's never gotten out. Um, Probably the thing that he's most notorious for is the quote in the American Psycho movie. So in American Psycho, Christian Bale plays Patrick Bateman. And in the movie, he says, you know what Ed Gein says about women? And that is not a mistake. He does say, you know what Ed Gein says about women? I didn't get the name wrong. They did. Okay, I looked at (laughs) you and I was like, what? Wait, did we switch people?
2: (laughs) Do you know what Ed Gein said about women? Ed Gein, maitre d'Acanal bar? Albar? No. Serial killer. And what did Ed say? He said, when I see a pretty girl walking down the street, I think two things. One
0: part of me wants to take her out and talk to her, be real nice and sweet and treat her right.
2: And what the other part of him think? <laughs> what her head would look like on a stick.
0: Well, it was actually Ed Kemper that said that. It was not Ed Gein. So the movie inaccurately attributed the quote to Ed Gein. It was actually Ed Kemper who said that. Oh. He said that he wondered what her head would look like on a stick. And that's like Ned Ned what he did quote, to the cat. Right, yeah. Right. He's got a lot of one liners. That's probably his biggest one, both because of how horrifying it is, but also because the movie misattributed it. But that is the story of Bumble Butt, Ed Kemper, <laughs> aka the co ed killer, aka Big Ed, and his reign of terror. And that is that. He is still alive and relatively well, from what I know of. And still serving out his sentence in California. That is so. And that is where he will die.
1: Wow, what a story! Yeah, dude, I I didn't know.
0: That's a why a lot he of those details. is my. It's weird to say he's my favorite serial killer, yeah. but he
1: is. It's so interesting though to see him, be so methodical about his he, procedures. He and...
0: interestingly evolves and yet stays consistent at mm-hmm. the same time. It's like his consistency right. matures. It is. If you will. Right. Um and it, by matures I mean like it just like develops over. Develops. Time. Yeah. Right. So and that's really interesting to me, but also like just kind of like his commentary on things and how he talks about things is really interesting. He's very interesting smart. To me. If I were gonna interview one serial killer, he would be that person. Right. For me. Because I feel like he He would give you a hell he would of give an it interview. To me.
1: Yeah. Right. And the fact that he's very transparent about everything that happened, he's not trying to hide anything. So it gives us a different view and insight to a serial killer's mind.
0: Right. So the reason he is on Mindhunter is because in the show, Detective Ford is interviewing people to start building his profile of serial killers. and. We know that Mindhunter the series is based on the book who's actually written by the real detective who started serial killer profiling. Ed Kemper really was the first serial killer that he interviewed. So that's why he's in the Because And in the show, he's also the first serial killer that's that he interviewed. That's a huge
1: interviews. moment. Yeah. Because and to get someone who's so open about it.
0: Not only is he so open about it, but Ed Kemper, as much as I don't want to give him credit for it, is instrumental in the foundational right. work of serial killer profiling. Right, we probably wouldn't have gotten as far or know as much as we do if it hadn't been for those interviews with him. So, thank you. Thanks. I guess. Thanks. I
1: don't know. But it's really interesting to see that he's so self-aware about how heinous the crimes are and how he's not fit for society. Yeah, and he's good where he's at, which is in a jail or prison. Sorry, but
0: in the show, he says. Um, somebody asked him, so what do you think we should do with people like you? Like, mm-hmm. what do you think that we should do with serial killers? What did he say? I think he says something to the effect of torture us to death. I'm almost positive that he says wanted that. That he's like, he's like, torture us to death. I don't know. Torture that us to death.
1: so weird.
0: Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I'm going to go scrub off 10 layers of my skin now. <laughs> um... <laughs> So, you know the drill, what I'm going to tell you guys next. If you have questions, suggestions, comments, concerns, feedback, anything I got right, anything I got wrong, if you just want to chat, then these are your options. You can follow us on Instagram at A Stranger Danger Podcast. You can email us at A Danger Podcast at gmail.com. 15 i hit him with the facebook
1: facebook stranger danger colon a true crime podcast and twitter is sd true crime pod yeah nailed it
0: awesome all right all right thank you guys thanks guys and we will see you next time